All right. I love that uh, I'm at a church where we take some time for our kids uh, to participate in what we're doing, for them to walk in the way of the Lord. Uh, there is nothing more important than for us to disciple our own children, to show them what it means to walk in the truth of God. This is a hard world for our kids to grow up in and know what it means to walk in the truth of Christ. And so thank you for participating in that. Uh, they need you. Uh, we need each other. And uh, for them to know that they have folks here who will love them and point to Christ is the biggest blessing that we can have for our children. So uh, as we begin this morning, uh, I want to mention just a couple of things. As Clark uh, said, we're beginning what's called Holy Week, and we have that opportunity. There's an egg hunt that's going to be for the kids. We have the audio experience for Good Friday. You know, Good Friday is something I did not grow up with. Uh, It was something that was foreign to me for a long time. But the idea of Good Friday is the idea that this is the day they took our Lord. This is a dark time. This was the time when, uh, when people doubted. This was the time when those that were closest to Christ uh, worried about what was going to happen, and everything seemed uh, so dark and so gloomy. Uh, and I think it's important for us to experience that a little bit because we need to understand that in that great darkness comes this great light that we will be able to celebrate Uh, with Resurrection Sunday next week when we have Easter. And I I want you to know, as I did start participating in that, it made Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, bigger for me because I had to go and spend a little time down in the depths. You have to go and you have to experience and go, this is how dark it was. This is how afraid everyone was. This was the day that man took God and put him to death. And with that, I'm so ready by the time I spend some time on that on Friday and meditating that on Saturday, I am excited to be with you on Sunday to talk about the resurrection, that that wasn't the end. And we look forward to that, and we want to celebrate that next week. So we will be spending some time on that. Uh, As we begin this morning, uh, we're going to spend some time in prayer. We usually pray for one of the other churches here in town. Um, Today I'm going to do something a little bit different. this, this past week, I know many of you are aware of the shooting that happened in Nashville, Tennessee at the church and private school that happened there uh, where six people lost their lives. And um, that church that is a Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, um, their pastor, Chad Scruggs, who lost his daughter in that, uh, in that shooting, they're gathering together to worship this morning. And um, they come together in this darkness that we talk about uh, to lament and to ask the Lord for his peace and his presence. And so uh, we, will, we will join in prayer with them this morning. So if we can, let's go to our Heavenly Father. God, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. Uh, you are the author and perfecter of our faith. You are the one who put the stars in the sky and put the earth in motion. You created galaxies beyond our understanding to even comprehend. And so, Lord, it is only to you that we know to come when we see disaster uh, happen like what happened in Nashville this week. Our hearts break for those that were uh, the victims of this violence and and evil that was perpetrated by an individual. And Lord, uh, we ask that you would comfort uh, Covenant Presbyterian Church this morning, all of the people that surround that place, the brokenhearted, those that lost little ones, uh, those that lost fathers and mothers and family members, those that are part of a church family that bear one another's burdens, and as they do, uh, they just ache and are torn apart at this moment. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give them comfort that only you can. We know that you said in this world we will face troubles, and there are no troubles bigger than what they faced last week. But we also know that you say you have overcome this world. And so, Lord, we ask that you would shower down your presence 
in the midst of those who lament and those that hurt and those that are broken. Lord, we pray um, for the soul of the one who did this. We pray for those who, uh, who do get confused, who get deceived, um, who the enemy grabs hold of and uses to do uh, evil work. And Lord, we know that uh, you came to die on the cross for all of us, including those uh, who are deceived, especially for those who are deceived, because that includes all of us at some point in our life. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, grant peace, your peace, uh, to the town of Nashville, to Covenant Presbyterian Church, to Chad Scruggs, to his family and their loss. And we ask that you knit them back together in a way that only you can. Let them rely on you. Let them feel the presence of your Holy Spirit, the Comforter. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, this week we're going to talk Palm Sunday a little bit. Uh, it, it makes me think about good entrances, right? Like having good entrances. Good entrance is really important, and you can tell in particular in competitions, sports competitions, uh, a good entrance is really valuable. Uh, if you look at uh, those MMA fights or if you look at boxing uh, matches, you know, you have the guys that come in. And for a while there, it was, I come in to go to the ring and there was music. And then it's moved to where there's lights and now there's dancing people and there's all of this to come. And the whole idea is that you're going to make this grand entrance to show what you're there to do. I'm here to compete. I'm here to win. This is what I'm going to do. As a matter of fact, nowadays, you can't even go to a baseball game without people having walk-up music, right? You got to have walk-up music that sets the tone. Here's what I'm going to do. Uh, after what Clark said today, I feel like that if I had walk-up music, it would be the Darth Vader theme. <laughs> but um, that, that entrance is really a big deal. And, and today what we have is Jesus making his entrance into Jerusalem. And it is a big deal. This is the last week of his life. He's coming in Jerusalem a few days before the Passover. And there are hundreds of thousands of people that are coming in during this time. They're all pouring in for this celebration of Passover, this reminder of this time when Jesus redeemed them. And he's coming in at this time. And Jesus has been on this march to Jerusalem. You need to know he has purposely turned his head towards Jerusalem and towards the cross. He knows where he's going. He is purposeful in it. And he is coming. And he's doing it very publicly. Now, this, this can look a little bit different because we all know that a lot of times when Jesus would come and he would do something, he would maybe do a healing or he would perform something with power and he'd go, don't tell anybody. And the reason for that wasn't because he just has this modesty. It, Jesus doesn't have this modesty about what he does. Jesus is very clear about what he's doing, but he's also very purposeful in how and when he does it. And so he has planned this to enter Jerusalem at this time. It's not this because he told people not to share before because that he doesn't want anybody to know and it's embarrassing to him for thanks. That's not it. He's been pointing towards this moment, this moment where he can enter Jerusalem in this way at this time. And so if you would, I'd like for you to listen as uh, we have uh, Silas and Will come up and read our text for today about Jesus entering Jerusalem. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. 
His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing? Look, the world has gone after him. John 12, 12 through 29. Uh, the word of the Lord. Thank you for that, gentlemen. It's the word of the Lord. So uh, if I can, I want to kind of set this up because it's really important we understand what's going on here. There's a lot. There's a lot that's going on right here. Uh, we have Passover and you got to remember that what's happening right now is you have hundreds of thousands of people that are flooding into Jerusalem during this time. They're all coming in. We talked about this before when we were in John back in uh, chapter 2, if you recall. And, and, and I just want to remind you, yeah, we're jumping ahead. You know, I know we've been going through John in order here, and we're jumping ahead to John 12. Uh, I want you to know I'm, I'm not trying to do a spoiler for you. Uh, you know, that I just want to mention that somebody very important dies. But there's a twist at the end, so it's going to be okay. Uh, but I do want you to know that we're, we jumped ahead to John chapter 12, but we're going to be there uh, today uh, as, as we talk about this. But I want you to understand what's going on here. What you have is the Roman Empire at its height during this time. It, it controls half the world. And in the middle of this, you have this one little country, this one little area of Judea, this part of the Roman Empire. And, and they're like this, this troubling little spot. All of Rome and under Roman Empire understands that Caesar is king. Caesar is Lord. And everybody seems to be able to come under that. And they seem to get that except for this one little spot in Judea. And they don't seem to get it. And they don't seem to understand. They haven't been willing to go Caesar's Lord. They still go Yahweh's God. Jehovah is God. They're just not willing to do it. And so there's this troubling little spot. And so when you have Passover coming and you're in the position of the Romans, you start seeing, okay, so we're going to have these people gather together who we've conquered and that are subjects of ours, and they're going to come into this town together to celebrate the time when they overthrew the people who had subjected them. They're getting together to talk about a rebellion that happened and to remember a rebellion and to celebrate the rebellion. That's what Passover is is when they stood up with their God and defeated Egypt and they were set free. And so they're coming together at this place because they want to celebrate this time. Now, if you're Rome, you're going, this is not good. I don't want these people who keep pushing against us about Caesar being Lord getting together and having this celebration about the time they overthrew their conquerors and they were set free. This could lead to a real problem. So enter Pontius Pilate. Okay, if you know Pontius Pilate, you know he's the guy washed his hands, did, did the uh, uh, condemned Jesus and washed his hands of the whole thing. And he's in Jerusalem, we know, at the trial of Jesus at the end of this week. But you need to know he probably came earlier. He doesn't live in Jerusalem. He actually lives in a town called Caesarea, named after Caesar. And he stayed in a palace that King Herod the Great had built, this opulent palace. And Pilate, Pontius Pilate, is this bulldog of a guy tough, strong, and he had been placed in control and over the area of Judea and Jerusalem and where God's people were, where Jesus is entering into. 
So with him being in Caesarea, he's going to be moving into Jerusalem during the time of the Passover because he thinks to himself, this is when mobs gather. Big crowds can turn into mobs, and mobs can turn into something violent. And if somebody stands up and goes, let's get them, they could do that. So he travels from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Now, if you want to know, Caesarea was northwest. I'm going to turn around so that you can see it. we're all looking in the same way. So you got Caesarea up here on the coast. And he would travel down the coast, and then he would go into Jerusalem from the west. That's the way that he would have entered. And you need to know, when Pilate would go and he would enter Jerusalem at a time like this, he's coming with power and a spectacle. He's going to make a big deal. You need to know who I am. You need to know who I represent. You need to know the empire of Rome that's coming into Jerusalem right now. If you have any ideas of misbehaving, I'm going to make sure that you understand that is not going to work. So as he traveled south and then east into Jerusalem, he probably came with hundreds, maybe thousands of troops. They marched through the roads on the way down there, making a huge spectacle. Pilate was probably either on a white horse, which was uh, the symbol of authority, kingship, uh, leadership in Rome, or he was probably in a chariot that was pulled by a white horse. But make no mistake, he's making a symbol. He's making a spectacle. He's making sure you understand. Because the idea for Rome during that time, and this empire and Pilate, is to go, I keep peace through violence. That's what I do. I will keep the peace, and I'll kill as many people as it takes to make sure that that happens. If revolt starts up, you need to know. We'll start bopping heads and crushing people until it's over. That's what I do. And so if you were coming in from the west into Jerusalem, maybe you were a Jewish person, you need to know as they came, you better get out of the road, you better back up, and you better let them come through because here comes Rome and here comes Pilate. Make no mistake, this is who's in charge. Now, I want to tell you about another entrance that's probably happening on the other side of the city from the east into Jerusalem. This is how Jesus comes in. Jesus is coming from a feast at Mary and Martha's house. And if you recall, you got Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And there's been this long story that's been happening that's been part of Jesus' plan as he comes into Jerusalem. It wasn't long ago that Jesus came into their town, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, to raise Lazarus from the dead. He had died. And it says while he was there that a bunch of people from Jerusalem, a bunch of Jews had come out and they were witness. And then they went back and they told everybody. And then later, right before Jesus' entrance, there had been a feast thrown in that town in Bethany for Jesus and for Lazarus. And people from Jerusalem came out. Jesus is back in Bethany. Here they all come. And they want to celebrate this. This is a feast in the honor of Jesus. Now, we recall in the past, Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't allow many feasts for himself. Like I said, it was kind of private. Not now. Here I sit with Lazarus, with Jews coming back out of Jerusalem to watch. And I'm letting them do this. And not only that, then Mary anoints Jesus on his way in. You know what anointings are for? They're for kings, for royalty. Jesus is setting all of this up in particular to make sure that people understand, I am coming, and I'm coming into Jerusalem. And I bring an empire too. But it's different. It looks very different than what uh, Pilate does and the way that he comes in. It's all very public. 
So then what you have is you had the Jews that came out to watch him raise Lazarus from the dead and then go back to Jerusalem, spread the word. Then you have the Jews and more that came out to the feast in Bethany to celebrate what was going on, and then they go back to Jerusalem. And then as you have Jesus coming in, you have even more of them coming out of Jerusalem to meet him as he comes in. And then they're saying these words, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means, Lord, save us. And then they call him the king of Israel. These are loaded words. They have a lot of power behind them. I don't know that we can really understand how big these words were, were during, that, during that time. Because this is a theological claim, Lord God save us. So they're calling Jesus God. So you need to know that would get the attention of a lot of people. And then the other thing is they're calling him King of Israel. So it's a theological claim and it's a political claim. And it causes a huge deal. And Jesus knows this. And he's purposefully doing this. You see, there's this scene that's being acted out as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And there are people that are playing their parts in this. And Jesus has orchestrated this. And you need to know when I say orchestrate, I don't mean that he's faking this. I mean that he is making a point of where he's going and what he's going to do. And now it's okay for me to tear off my superhero mask and let you see who I am in some way. Most people had never seen Jesus. They don't know what he looks like. There's no way to get online and look him up. But as you started having people talking about him, going, this is him, this is the guy, this is Jesus of Nazareth. And so he has orchestrated this whole thing. Now, let me tell you why this is such a big scene and people are playing parts that have been planned for them. The, the statements that they're making and what is happening in here comes out of some of the Old Testament that we've read, in particular, a prophet named Zechariah. So Zechariah was one of the later prophets, and Zechariah wrote about what will happen when our Lord finally comes to fight for us and to release us from the people that are oppressing us. He talks about this in Zechariah chapter 9, and one of the things that he says before the scripture we're going to look at is how God says, never again will oppressors overrun my people. And then he gives you an idea what it's going to look like. And this is what he says. This is how God will save them in Zechariah 9, 9 through 10. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I'll take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. And he'll proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So you have this prophecy that the Jews know about that says this is how our Savior, our Messiah, this is how God is going to save us one day. And he'll come and he'll be on a donkey. That's one of the ways you need to know. This is how he'll come. He'll be on a donkey. Now, this is an interesting thing because Jesus did this on purpose. You need to know. It wasn't that Jesus didn't want to walk, and it wasn't that Jesus got a donkey because everybody had a donkey like everybody has a car. That's not it. As a matter of fact, I heard a, a rabbi once talk about that you need to know how purposeful it is that Jesus got a donkey for them to see him sit on. And if you look in, in John, 10, uh, John 12 that we talked about, all it says is Jesus sat on the donkey. So Jesus got a donkey and he sat on it. It's possible that what happened was he got the donkey and he brought it in and when the crowd gathered, he got up on it and sat down. And then he might have just got right back off. Or maybe he got on it just to enter the city gates, just to cross over into Jerusalem. The reason is because Jesus is playing his part in this prophecy. I'm going to sit on a donkey and when I do, everyone will know what that means. 
here I come, and I'm sitting on this donkey. So that's how he will come, and that's described to them. And then in Zechariah 14, 3 and 4, they go even further. This is what the prophet says. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. And on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. And the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley, with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. So this is telling him, here's the direction he'll come. He'll come on a donkey, and here's the direction. He's going to come from the Mount of Olives. Now, John 12 doesn't talk about that, but if I can, I want you to see in Luke 19, the description that Luke gives, this is what it says in verse 29 and 30. As he, this is Jesus, approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt there, which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. So what they're doing is they're going to say again, there come a time where God is going to send his battler. He's going to send the one that is going to help them with this, to fight the battle that they can't fight on their own. And here's the way he's going to do it. He's going to come on a donkey, and he's going to come from the east, and he's going to come from the Mount of Olives. And that's exactly where Jesus is as he comes in. That's the direction he's coming. Then let me give you another little part. He even gives them the script. This is what's going to be said. Psalm 118, 25, and 26, you need to know this is the psalm of Passover. This is the one that they would sing often about Passover, the Passover feast that started back when they were in Egypt and they were released. And this is what it says. They will say, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you, which is exactly what they're saying when he comes in in John. So they're showing you. Jesus is fulfilling this is how he'll come, seated on a donkey. This is the direction he'll come, from the Mount of Olives. And this is what the people will say. Hosanna, save us. You see what's happening here? They got two groups. Jesus is going, I'm playing my part as the one who's coming to save you. And then you have the people going, and we're playing our part. We're going to stand up and we're going to shout. Lord, save us. We're going to say the words that we're supposed to say. And you're going to do the deeds that you're supposed to do. And this is what they think is leading up to the big battle, and it is. And they're thinking to themselves, here he comes on a donkey from the Mount of Olives, and we're screaming out, Hosanna, save us. This is when the hero enters the scene. This is when the bad guys get defeated. They're thinking to themselves, this is where you have this, a guy coming from the west, and you have a guy coming from the east, and pick your winner because we're ready to rumble. It's time to get this on. And when you have these people that are Jewish people there for the Passover, and they're watching this happen, you know, we know Pilate's coming, and we know Jesus is coming. This is the way it is. It's happening. Finally, the fight that we've been looking for, this is the one that will finally happen. And you can see, there's a bunch of them. They're picking Jesus. Even though Pilate comes rolling in with his army and with his uh, chariots and that sort of thing, they're going, I picked the guy who raised Lazarus from the dead. I picked the guy who heals people who can't see and who can't hear and the lame and the one who fed the 5,000. I'm picking him. That's my guy. I think he's going to defeat the other guy. I can't wait for this battle to happen. But they're missing something. They're missing something in this. There's a huge part of this they don't quite get and that they don't quite see. Let me show you something. In Luke 19, 41 and 42, this is another version. This is Luke's version of Jesus coming in. This is what he says. 
as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. You're missing something. You think this is the battle royale that's about to come where Jesus fights the Romans and wins for us, and you don't get it. The day that we celebrate, and we should celebrate it, and when we have Palm Sunday and we have the kids, it's the day that Jesus wept. It's the day that Jesus looked out over a whole city and he cried. It's the day that when they rose up and they waved these palm leaves, and by the way, you need to know too, the palm leaves was one of the symbols for zealots in the Jewish culture. You know what zealots are? Zealots are Jewish people who have this great zeal for the Lord, such to a point that they go, it's okay for us to fight. It's okay for us to kill. We're waiting for the time where we rise up and we defeat the Romans and we kill them. And the palm leaf is one of their symbols. And so while they shout and they cheer, Jesus weeps. Try to find out why is he weeping. What's going on that would make Jesus weep? And the fact is they had a mistaken idea of what's about to happen here, of why he's coming. They don't understand what will actually bring peace as Jesus comes in. And then there's some other signs that I think they're missing during this time that we probably miss ourselves in a lot of ways. If I can, I want to tell you about the day that this probably occurred. You start looking at Jesus being in Bethany about six days before, and then he took a day, and then he came in. And it's very possible that what happened is Jesus came in from the east. It was a special day to Jews as they got ready for Passover. There's this day called Lamb Selection Day. And what it has to do is this idea of us celebrating the Passover. And if you recall, the Jews were redeemed and saved from Egypt when they killed the lamb and they took some of the blood and they put it over their entranceway. And what it did was it saved them from death. And so what happens now is if you're a Jewish person, then you come into Jerusalem and every family selects a sheep, a lamb. And this is part of the way that they celebrate Passover. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Exodus 12, 3. This is instruction on what families are supposed to do for Passover. Exodus 12, 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And then Exodus 12, 5, and 6, a little bit further. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So do you see what they're saying? Four days before Passover happens, you need to go and you need to select a lamb. You need to pick one. And so what you'd have is a family, and they would go and they would select from the flocks of Bethlehem, the lambs that were raised in Bethlehem, and they would select the one that's best. What you would do is you would go and you would look through these flocks and you'd pick one and you'd examine it and you'd look at it and you'd go, I think this is the best one. And so you would take it and you'd take it back home and you and your family and you'd get your kids and you'd go, we're going to watch the lamb for four days. Watch it until it's Passover time. Make sure that it's okay. Check it for spots. Make sure that it's not blemished. And then when it comes time, you would bring it back and then the priest would examine it for you. And then what you would do is you would cut its throat and the blood would spill, and they would take that, and they would put it on the altar, and then you would roast the lamb, and you would celebrate when God redeemed us from Egypt. 
You remember, this is how God saved us. And it's very possible from the way that it looks that Jesus is entering Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. As they stand and they shout, Hosanna, save us. The King of Israel, Jesus enters. What you realize is it's not just a day for coronation of kings, but it's also the day for sacrifices of lambs and lamb selection. Pick. Watch and pick one. This is the day we pick. And a lot of people got confused, and what they're doing is they're watching Pilate come in, who represents Rome and empire and power, and they watch Jesus coming in that's called lowly and victorious on a donkey, and they go, well, we got to pick a winner. And you go, no, you got to pick a lamb. You're mistaken. We're not picking the winner of the fight. We're picking the lamb. And they got confused about the difference between Jesus being the lion and the lamb. They wanted the lion. And I don't blame them. Rome had been persecuting them and ruling over them, been involved in all kinds of horrific acts towards the Jewish people. And basically what you have is the Jewish people looking and going, finally, here comes the lion of Judah. The bad guys are going to get what they deserve. You guys are going to get it now, right? It reminds me of when I was a kid, and my sister's picking on me, and I tell, and then here comes dad, and I go, oh, you're in trouble now. Here it comes. You're about to get what you deserve, right? You know, here comes the lion. This is our king versus your king. This is showdown. It's time to battle this out. See, this is the part that James and John's mother wanted. Do you remember the story of James and John's mother goes to Jesus and goes, hey, when you come into your glory, put one of my sons on your right hand and one on your left when you come into your glory. This is what she pictured. When you march into Jerusalem and you defeat the Romans and you wipe out the bad guys who are oppressing us, put my kids right next to you on that. When it's lion time, I want my kids to be part of that. And if you're the Jews, it's easy because you go, I know these prophecies about the enemy. And this is the enemy. It's right in front of me. It's the Romans. Here they are. Get them. Defeat them. I see the enemy, and I'm ready for the lion to give them what they deserve. Wipe the bad guys out. Meanwhile, you have Jesus coming in going, here I am. Here I am. And I'm not coming as the lion, I'm coming as the lamb. He said, I'm not like him. See, you keep looking at me, and you look at Pilate, and I'm not like him at all. There's nothing about me really at my heart that's like him. Now, it may look that way. A king? Oh, yeah, I'm a king. A ruler? Powerful? Ready for battle? Yep, yep, yep. Jesus is those things. Dangerous? Oh, absolutely I'm dangerous. Making a spectacle? Yeah, I'm making a spectacle too, just like he is, definitely. But it's a different kingdom I represent. My spectacle is very different. See, here's the difference. I'm not going to make you subjects to me by power, through force and through conquest. See, Pilate, his position of power is purchased with the blood of the subjects. He kills to get himself in that place. I don't do that. I don't say you either, you either join us or I kill you. Instead, what I do is I die for you. I make you sons and daughters with an inheritance and with a name through redemption, and I purchase it with my blood. I don't purchase it with yours. That's what he does. 
He buys loyalty through your blood. I buy it through mine. I fight for you and I die. What they don't remember is that at Passover, God didn't come to defeat Egyptians. He came to set his people free. And don't forget this putting the lamb's blood over the door so that death would pass you by. The Egyptians had that option too. He made a way for them to save them. They had the option to be saved too by the sacrifice of the lamb. He was trying to save them just as well. He was defeating a kingdom a way of thinking and a way of working in this world of death and subjugation and power. And he goes, that's not who I am. And I'm going to come and I'm going to take on death itself. That's what he did at Passover. The Lord did that and defeated death. Death could not come to you because of the sacrifice of the lambs. And now you have the Jews that are going, I, I want you to come in and I want you to go take out the Romans and I want you to defeat them. And little do they know, that in just a few days, Jesus is going to lay on the cross, and as the Romans pound the spikes in, he's going to go, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. See, I'm coming to die for them too. You don't get it. I'm not coming to take out your enemy. I'm coming to save your enemy, just like I'm coming to save you. That's what's going on here. That's what he was doing. And the irony is, his own people killed him for it. They weren't happy with who he was. We were looking for the lion, and you're the lamb. You're doing it wrong, Jesus. When we were shouting, Hosanna, save us, what we expected and what you were going to do, what we thought you were going to do, is go and wipe them out, and you're not doing that. We watched you for four days. We watched the lamb, and he went into the temple. And we watched the lamb as he confronted the religious people in such a way. And then you went and you died, and that's not the way it's supposed to go. Jesus wept when he saw the city of Jerusalem. And it wasn't just because of his followers. He was weeping over all of them, Romans and Jews alike. Watch the lamb. What you had was Jesus coming in and go, it's lamb selection day. Pick me. Pick me. I know that you see Pilate coming in over here, and I know that you see me as maybe the lion, but pick me as the lamb. I'm the only one that can save you. It's my blood is the only thing that's going to save you because the enemy is not the Romans. The enemy is this power and this violence and this evil, and I want to save all of you from it. And we sometimes have a hard time with that too. We look at them and we go, how could you be so confused? Why didn't you get that Jesus is coming as the lamb and not the lion, and you shouldn't have been saying, hey, come in and wipe all these people out. And we do the same thing. We sometimes forget. We look at the problems in the world, and you go, I stand over here with Jesus, and then there's these evil people. Get them. I can't wait for God to come and get them what they deserve. He'll show them. Jesus will come as the lion, and he'll show them. And what you don't understand and what we sometimes forget, and I know I do, is to go, Jesus died for them. That's who I am. I shed my blood for those folks, just like I do for you. And if we ever find ourselves in this place where we're going, I'm standing over here with Jesus, pointing at them on the other side, you need to know that's not where Jesus is. He's not over there going, I'm here for you, but I come to get them. Instead, what you have is the lamb, who is a sacrifice for the whole world. That's why 
Jesus was weeping. It's because we just don't always get it. Here's the deal. If the lion comes for the unrighteous, we're all dead. We're in big trouble. But if the lamb comes for sacrifice, then we're all saved. And that's what we get to look at. That's what we celebrate. That's why this is such a big day for us, is for us to understand. You need to understand there was no victory over Egypt or in Egypt without the sacrifice of the lamb and his blood. And there's no victory over sin without the sacrifice of the Holy One. And there's no beauty in the death, with, there's no beauty in the resurrection without the ugliness of the death on the cross. Jesus says, pick me. Pick me. I'm the one. I'm the one who could save you. If you only knew. It's these two kingdoms. One rules through conquer and one through invitation. So you pick. One gets peace through violence and one gets peace through, th- through sacrifice. So we pick. One is a, sets up a king through conquest and one sets up a king through his own life. Giving it, you pick. One takes your life in every way, and the other one gives you life in every way. Pick. One will rule over you for his glory, and the other one will lay down his life to bring you into glory. And we get to pick. Jesus says, pick me. Lamb selection day is every day for us, that we get to pick Christ as the lamb. We get to pick him as the one who will save us. And the enemy is not the other people in this world. The enemy is death and sin and hopelessness and a life without him. Oh, what a great day for us. Let's stand up. We're going to take a little time and we're going to pray. If you would stand. We're going to read uh, the Passover psalm together, 118. We're going to read that together, and then we're going to take a few minutes. We're going to sing a few songs, and we're going to give you opportunity to pray. If you haven't had your lamb selection day yet, if you haven't made this decision of going, oh, I look at the way the world operates, and you need to know Pilate's just representative of the whole world. If you go and look and go, I see the way he operates, and then I see the way Jesus operates, I'm picking him. We want to give you opportunity to do that. Come find one of us. We'll tell you about that. We would love to have you do that. And maybe for those of us that have forgotten that it's the lamb that saved us, and we've too often called on the lion to come and defeat our enemies, we may need a little time of repentance, some time of prayer to understand what Jesus has done for us. If you have other hurts and you have other pains, we invite you to pray with those that are around you. You can pray with elders. You can pray there uh, at your seats while we sing these songs together. But if you would first, read with me Psalm 118, 22 through 29. Read with me, please. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let's sing.